I'm going to do my very best. I have uh, lost my voice over the last couple of days, and so uh, I wish I could sing in a quartet. I think I could do bass this year or this uh, end of the or beginning of the year. But I want to end our study of exploring God's word, and uh, much like I talked about last week, this uh, lesson, these last two lessons. The scope of them is vast, and there, there, there's no way that you could cover all the nuances and all the different wrinkles in just a, uh, a 40 or 45 minute session, and especially because as we've been doing this exploring God's word, this is the 12th lesson, and so um, as you've heard me say many times, there's two ways, two reasons why I wanted to do this. The first is I think all of us every once in a while need just a, an elementary going over the Bible. Just something to kind of remind us that, hey, the Bible starts at Genesis and ends at Revelation. There's a lot of incredible stuff in between. And sometimes we need that, that teaching. But the second thing that I have desired and wanted it to be is that I, I'm hoping that you can see that it's not that difficult to teach a Bible study. And especially, I hope, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, we gave those that wanted it, we gave you a, a, a binder that has all the notes, and if you followed through or if you went home, you would see that many times I was pretty much word for word or at least thought for thought in the lesson, and I've done that on purpose because I want it to be something you can teach. Uh, most of the time, when you are doing a Bible study of this, you are doing it to people that are unchurched are people that do not understand the Bible. And so we're not there to give them a dissertation or a doctorate degree in, in you know, theology or Hebrew or, or Greek. We're there to simply give them an overview. And so uh, I think it's important as Bible study teachers that we don't sometimes put the cart before the horse and don't try to tell them everything you know. Because chances are they're not ready for that. And chances are you might not know as much as you think you know. And I can say that because I've been in that position. Where I opened my mouth thinking I was going to say something very deep and, and mysterious and incredible. And then they started asking questions and pretty soon we were down a rabbit hole I couldn't get myself out of. So sometimes it's just good to give them an overview. Because I'm going to tell you the word of God, the Bible says, first off, the Holy Ghost will lead and guide us into all truth. The second thing is, the Bible says his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Both of those are necessary. The word of God will lead somebody so far. But when they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, they will be able to go on into all truth. And uh, I believe that very, very much. Last week, we, we talked a little bit about the coming of the Lord. And this week, we're going to end it by talking a lot about what, what happens in the book of Revelation and then just sort of uh, ending it, it there. And I'm going to do it just as the, the, the leaders and study guide gives it. Um, those of you that have been around, and I'm, I'm, I, I want to do it again, and maybe this year we'll be able to do so, but I'd like to get back into a, a study of the book of Revelation. And those of you who were here about five years ago when I did that, it took me, uh, I think it took me 18 or 19 weeks to get through the book of Revelation, and, and even then I probably did not cover everything 
that was contained within that incredible book. So how in the world would I do it in 30 or 40 minutes? So I'm going to do it just as Exploring God's Word uh, has it. I'll give you a few extra things, but I want you to take it. The, the, the first thing is you have to, to make sure the person that you're teaching, you as well, has to understand that there is coming a time when the world is going to end. We are not stuck in some endless loop of, of life and death and life and death, but there will be a moment in which God says, enough is enough, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm done, I'm going to close the, the book, I'm going to close the time, and at that point, uh, those who are still alive uh, will have no more time to get right with God. There is coming a day. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31 alludes it this way. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, how many of you have ever heard someone say this statement? You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. You ever heard somebody say like that? Usually it's someone that's caught up in, a, in, a, in sin and caught up in their own mind and their own, uh, you know, doing whatever is right in their own mind. And they, they don't like it. And so they look at you and they say, the Bible says judge not lest you be judged. And they twist that scripture awfully. But they say, you can't judge me. They'll say, only God can judge me. Friend, that ought to scare you half to death. I would much prefer my parents to do a little judging in my life. I would much prefer the elders to judge me a time or two in my life and make sure I'm living right. I would much prefer a pastor or a minister to give me some judgment here and there so that when God does judge me, I'm ready to be judged. Because if you think you're going to waltz into heaven and stand there before that great white throne of judgment and you're going to be able to talk your way out of things, you got another thought coming. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But <coughs> there is another verse that says that we can have peace with God. To the saved, to those who are at peace with God, the end time and judgment is not something to be scared. But those who have not, it's a fearful thing. <clears throat> Daniel prophesied in his book, uh, the book of Daniel, he prophesied and, and, and did, you'd have to look around chapter 9 of Daniel, and he prophesied a time of seven years that would be recorded, and during this time there would be great calamity upon the earth. He uses the term 70 weeks or 70 periods of seven that would relate to Jewish history. Each of those weeks, if you will, seemed to represent a period of seven years, and so 70 times 70, 490 years. Uh, Daniel did not prophesy about the church. It was not, the, the Old Testament was, was not a prophetic book to the church. The Old Testament was written to the Jews. And so the prophecy that is contained within the book of Daniel applies to the state of the Jews when God finally closes everything down. I guess I ought to turn my phone off since I give y'all dirty looks every once in a while when one of them goes off. To understand what, what most call the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, it, you have to kind of understand how the scripture uses those terms 70 weeks. And so if you read in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. 
69 of those weeks were going to take place uh, between the time that they restored Jerusalem and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Seven weeks or 49 years were going to be for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And then there would be 62 weeks or 434 years from the rebuilding of the walls until the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so, if you use that, it remains that there is one week that is unaccounted for, that has not happened or come to pass. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 says that this is going to be the years of an antichrist or an antichrist system. In, in verse 26 it says that the prince will come, will break a covenant with the Jewish nation and wreak havoc upon this earth. And, and there is a, a time, and the time is now that you and I are living in, the time between that, that 69th week, and, and again, that's a, a, uh, a kind of a, a descriptive time. It's not just seven days. It talks about years or a time period. The church age exists between the 69th week, which is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and when the 70th week begins. That church age that you and I live in, this time where we can come and preach and God is actively moving and there are miracles and signs and wonders that follow the infilling of the Holy Ghost is going to take place until God raptures the church home. But many people, in fact, it's amazing how many people who have no concept of the Bible have a concept of this. Some, they, they couldn't tell you uh, uh, who all appeared at Jesus' birth. They couldn't tell you who killed Goliath. But they will tell you that they've heard about the mark of the beast or the Antichrist. Or they've heard about the 70th week. Or they've heard about the great tribulation. These seven years that we call tribulation. Uh, evil people. And this is something that I hope through, through this I can get across. In fact, I marked a few places in my Bible to go back to. But here's... What, what I have found in my study of the book of Revelation. And, and while we talk about things like the seals and the trumpets and the vials that the Bible in the book of Revelation alludes to, and, 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 but, but I'd, I'd like you to take a step back and realize that just because it uses a supernatural way of, exp of explaining it doesn't mean it has to be a supernatural event. When it says that wars come on the earth. In fact, let me, let me take it to you like this. <clears throat> the tribulation, there's going to be a time of tribulation, seven years of tribulation, in which calamities upon calamities will come and judgment will be poured on the earth. And it's introduced in the book of Revelation by seals. I don't mean the animals. I mean those things that, that you seal a letter with. Trumpets and vials that are poured out. In Revelation chapter 6 and also in, in chapter 8, there are six seals that are open. The first is an evil leader that we call the Antichrist who will win the world to himself. The second seal that will be open is one of terrible war that comes followed by famine and death. When the third seal, the Bible says, is opened, it says that one-fourth of the world's population will die. In verse 4, there will be much persecution of people who will turn to God during this time. When this fifth seal is open, there will be catastrophic earthquakes that will disturb and shake the earth. 
And in the sixth opening of the seal, the moon will become as blood and the people will hide in the mountains for fear. When the trumpets are sounded, the angel will sound the trumpets and it's not the trumpet that's the rapture but a different way. It's a declaration if you will. The first trumpet will bring hail that falls and fire that burns over a third of the earth. In, in the second trumpet, it, it ushers in a meteor that falls and destroys a third of the maritime shipping and, and, and ships and, and shipping lanes. In the third trumpet, it brings forth and it says that the fish of the sea will die. When the fourth trumpet sounds, one third of the sea will become as blood. When the fifth trumpet sounds, poisons will contaminate a third of the water supply and many more will die. The sixth trumpet brings great darkness upon the earth. In the seventh trumpet, the Bible says scorpions will come and sting relentlessly, uh, unrelentlessly rather upon the earth. And in the eighth trumpet, a large army, upwards of 200,000 men will, will go forth and another third of the population will die. These are great things. They're grave things that begin to happen. The vials begin to get poured out in Revelation chapter 16. And the first one, awful sores inflict those who have bore the mark of the beast that follows the Antichrist. The second vial that's poured out well, says that all everything in the oceans will die. In the third vial, the water will become blood. In the fourth vial, the sun will burn hotter than usual and scorch people. In the fifth vial, the earth will be thrown into darkness and great pain will come upon the people. In vial six, the river Euphrates will dry up so that the armies of the east can come together to Armageddon. And in the seventh vial, hail will fall, destroying whole cities. All of these are things that will happen and while... Uh, you, you, you see that, that it's an it's a event in heaven that unravels and, and begins to show. I'm convinced that this is not necessarily stuff that God does, but it's stuff that mankind in its downward spiral into apostasy and hatred and the works of the flesh begin to go until literally the world begins to tear itself apart. During this time, one that we call the Antichrist, a forceful leader, will come to dominate the politics of the world. It's nothing we have seen yet. There, 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 there's nothing that you could even point that would come close to this at the moment. But this an Antichrist will, will become uh, the leader of the world as we know it along with a, another help called the false prophet who will be the world's religious leader. It seems that there will be a one world government and a one world religion. One way that you can see this is in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. It calls him the man of sin. He says that the son of perdition, the man of sin will be revealed. In, in verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he will oppose God. He will exalt himself above God. He will sit in the temple that has been built and show himself as God. But he will also be destroyed by Jesus at the battle of Armageddon. Satan is going to empower him with signs and lying wonders. There's going to be some, some miraculous things that take place that will help bring mankind into agreement with what he is doing. Verse 10 says it very simply. 
those that he deceives are those that did not love the truth. And the Bible says in verse 11 and 12 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that God allows those who does not love the truth to be deceived and to believe a lie and they'll be damned. Again, Revelation chapter 13 tells us about the Antichrist. It says that the dragon or Satan will give him his power and his authority. That this one world system of government is going to be in some sense a revival of the old Roman Empire. If you remember last week's lesson when we talked about the, the, uh, uh, the, the dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar had where he saw that great figure, a head of gold and then silver and then brass and then uh, uh, iron and then iron mixed with clay. The bottom were those ten toes and this is what it represents. It's a revival of the Roman Empire. It's during this time that they will worship this Antichrist or they will worship the beast. In the last three and a half years of the tribulation, this Antichrist or this great beast will have total power across this world. He will blaspheme God. He will blaspheme the name of God. He will blaspheme those that are in heaven. He will make war against anyone that tries to turn to God during this time. In verses 16 and 17 of Revelation chapter 3, the Antichrist will cause all to have received in their right hand or their forehead some sort of a mark in order to buy or to sell the mark of the beast, which we know the number is 666. Revelation chapter 13 also tells of a false prophet that rises during this time as well. If the Antichrist represents the one world government and economic system, the false prophet represents the one world religion that becomes uh, and, and comes into play. He will exercise great power according to Revelation chapter 13. He will cause the people to worship the Antichrist and submit. He'll have power from Satan to do miracles. He will deceive. He will have an image of the Antichrist made he will give life to that image and cause the image to speak. And he will put to death all that will not worship the image of the beast. It's going to be a bad time when God allows this to take place. One thing that is interesting, and, and it's, it's uh, one of the things that, that caught my attention when I began five or six years ago when we studied uh, the book of Revelation, and it, 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 it caught my attention, and I haven't been able to escape it, is that there are some that would, would say that, you know, we can just sort of wait until this, this Antichrist comes, we can wait till this tribulation comes, and then we can kind of get our houses in order, and we can sort of use some of these things that the Bible tells us are going to come to pass, and we can use them as a way of knowing when the rapture takes place. I'd like to warn you, don't wait. I mean, I, I, the Bible says a great meteor is going to fall into the sea and a third of the shipping is going to be disrupted. I'm pretty confident I'll be able to tell when that meteor falls. Pretty sure it's going to be a big event. And I could possibly uh, wait and put my, my hope that I can let that happen and then I could get right with God. But I want to show you a few verses. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn there because I want you to see it, especially if you have any desire to teach because I want you to put some way 
of marking this down. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, I want you to go to the to the, the back of that or the, the end of that chapter. This, this is where it talks about the seven seals. And I want you to look um, starting in verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig trees shed their winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that was rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, catch that, everyone, slave and free, All right, if you see Amber, let her know they're looking for her. Um, but I, I want you to catch that, everyone. For, let me back up because, see, my, my ADD kicks in. I know how it works. Every kid that goes to school tomorrow got all excited that some major winter storm was coming and school is going to be canceled, right? Zane, that's what you were hoping for. Let's get back to that. Now I can get my mind back on it. Um. I want you to catch that word, everyone. They, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the rocks and they called to the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lord. For the great day of their wrath has come, who can stand? I would like to tell you today that I believe I'm standing in the midst of a people that is saying, Lord, I'm ready for you to come. Do you catch the difference between those that are ready and those that waited too long? Those that waited too long are begging the mountains to fall on them, perhaps even in a suicidal attempt because they are afraid that God is coming back. I can tell you with all certainty that is not me today. I can stand here and look you in the eye and say, I'm ready, Jesus. I want you to come. I enjoy my life. I enjoy my family, but I can't wait for that trumpet to sound. I want you to turn the book of, of Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, uh, just, just look at verse 18. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths, from the power of the horses that is in their mouths and in their tails, their tails were like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, you catch that, the rest of mankind, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor did they give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see and walk, nor did they repent of their murders and of their sorceries and of the sexual immorality and of their thefts. I'm going to tell you that the tribulation is not, and I'll explain it in a minute, but the tribulation is not a time for a great revival of you and I. You're not going to see a great revival in the tribulation in the world that you and I live in. There is a revival that will happen, and I'll tell you about it in just a moment. I want you to look at verse or, or chapter 16. Would you turn with me to the book of chapter, or book of Revelation, chapter 16? I want you to look at verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, 
and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire and they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who have power over these plagues and they did not repent or give him glory. Look at verse 20 of that same chapter. In verse 20, the great city was split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. God, I'm sorry, that's verse 19. God remembered Babylon, Babylon the great and made her to drink, made to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, no mountains to be found. And great hailstones and about a hundred about pounds each fell on the, from heaven on the people. And they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so free. When Daniel began to write about the tribulation, he had the Jews in mind. When John began to write the book of Revelation, John in his gospel had a, his gospel was to the Jews. And in the book of Revelation, he was preaching again to the Jews. One of the things that just intrigues me so much about the Bible is how much the Bible completes itself when it all stops. If it started with perfection in the Garden of Eden with where Adam and Eve walked with God, it will end in perfection in heaven where those that God has called will live with him forever in eternity in peace. It comes full circle. It's amazing that if God's people and... and, and uh, it started with Abraham and it started with, with, with uh, his, his kin. They went to Egypt when they weren't supposed to go to Egypt. If they would have stayed put and let God touch them, they'd have never had the problems. But they went to Egypt. It's interesting that our Savior had to go to Egypt because his own country would not accept him. And he had to go to Egypt. It's amazing how, how complete the Bible is. And so it is that if you're waiting for the tribulation to get right with God, I've just given you four or five scriptures in the word of God that says that's probably not going to happen. If you can't live for God right now, you will not live for God when they're cutting your head off and when they're branding 666 here and when everything is happening. I'm going to tell you right now, today is the best day we've ever had to live for the Lord. There has never been more of a religious freedom across this planet. I know there's some martyrdom going on. I know there's some persecution going on. But as a whole, there has never been a time in which revival has been more prominent and and in the forefront it is as it is right now. You need to be ready now. But <coughs> there is coming an end of this world. And the Lord from the very beginning has had a people that he has cherished called the Jews. They denied him. All you have to do is read John chapter 1. Jesus came into his own, and his own received him not. You, you can read it through the Gospels. He would go, they would not accept him, and he would leave that country, he, or, or that, that city, or that countryside, and he would do no more work there because they denied him. But just like you and I, perhaps, we, we, we've either experienced it or you know. There are those of you right now that you have family that's estranged. Those that you love dearly but have made wrong choices but you still love them. So does God love his chosen people. At the end of the tribulation, <coughs> there 
west of the Jordan River, but yet east of the Mediterranean Sea, there is a place that we call Armageddon. It really is the city of, of Megiddo, and that's probably not how you pronounce it, which was a city of Solomon that he had all his chariots in. But you see, the Antichrist with the false prophet for some three and a half years are going to rule the world. One, one political, one religious, one economic uh, banner. He will have conquered, if you will, every country, every city, every place. But it's during this time that God will preserve 144,000 believers that are Jews during this time. It's what has been prophesied from the time that, that the Jews begin to, to, to fall into sin. God has promised, I will always save a remnant. He saved a remnant uh, in, the, in the book of Judges. He saved a remnant in Assyria. He saved a remnant when they went to Babylon uh, in captivity. And it is that you will find what has taken place, and I mentioned it a few times in the last couple of messages, but something that we're seeing right now, and I believe it's just a precursor of what's going to happen, and that is that the Antichrist will be able to break the will of every nation, but not the Jewish nation. He will be able to destroy and conquer and, and put an influence over every living thing in this world except the Jews. Just as we have seen over the course of human history, the Jewish nation has, has been resilient in some of the most horrible, most uh, uh, cruel forms of torture and genocide and holocausts, and yet still somehow they come out uh, uh, a remnant. You will find it at the end. It's at this time that the, the Antichrist will gather a great army and he will go for one sole purpose of eradicating the Jewish nation. It's at this time in Revelation chapter 19. It's at this time that the Lord will intervene with a heavenly army. We call it the battle of Armageddon. He will gather the Lord and his army. will gather against that of this world. And we will find that there will be a great battle. It's the final attack of the Antichrist and his godless system. And his apostasy against God and his people. And God will say, I've had enough. The cup of God's wrath will be full and he will come and he will end the world and it will set up a millennial reign on earth, a thousand years of peace. Revelation chapter 19 says it this way, And I saw heaven opened and a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And the righteousness he doth judge and make war. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that Antichrist and that false prophet will be cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20. It's at this time... <coughs> It's at this time that Jesus will come there to Armageddon and destroy that system of the Antichrist and he will stand on the Mount of Olives, a place that he had stood many times before. And he will stand there with Jerusalem on the east, the Mount of Olives. And he will turn and there will be a great valley. And he will set up a kingdom. 
Zacharias said it this way. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day, there will be one Lord, and his name is one. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. For on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. During this thousand years, the nations of the world that have persecuted or blessed the Jews are going to be judged. The Bible says that, our, that, that you and I, God's people, will rule with Christ. Satan will be bound. After a thousand years of that reign, the Bible tells us of the great white throne of judgment that will take place. A judgment that judges the dead from the beginning of the human existence to the earth. But there is one that will not be have to stand in that line. Those that have been redeemed. Because if you've been redeemed, why do you need to be judged? Something about it. I hear those old songs. When redeemed, I shall stand. Over in the promised land, John, I don't know exactly everything. John tried to write it down, but at the end he said, even words can't describe what I've seen. But John said, I saw a white throne, and I saw one sitting on the throne whose name was Jesus. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. The books were opened in another book, the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things that were written according to their works those books that are open first one is the Bible because I'm going to tell you today you're going to be judged by did you follow his word you, you, you. go back to your schooling some of you are still in schooling you have tests I always liked it when they gave you an open book test or better yet I loved it when the teachers gave you a study guide that they said everything on the test is in the study guide. And I really liked it when they let me use the study guide to take the test. And so as long as you had done the study guide, you had all the answers. Can I tell you, this is your study guide. This is your test in preparation. It's found in here. The second book is the recorded history of every person's life. The third book is the book of life that has the names of all the righteous in the ages. I've, I've thought a lot about how this would, would go, go on. You have to let me use my imagination. I see the Lord sitting there in a line that stretches just as far as the eye can see. But while you and I, Lord willing, while you and I are not going to have to stand in that line, we will be present. For the Bible teaches us that the saints of the church will be present with him as witnesses. You're going to hear those come. I don't know how it's all going to play out. I don't know if God's going to let them talk or if it's just going to be a, a reading of the charges and they'll have no defense. I have no idea, but one by one, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. Your name's not written down. You've got too many sins on your life. There's no way it can do it. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, those whose names are not in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. 
the time after the great white throne of judgment is not described much in detail. Second Peter puts it this way. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Everything that humanity has touched and created and made shall be destroyed. John said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And we, according, Peter said, we according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which dwelleth righteousness. Peter in 2 Peter compared it, that transformation to the flood of Noah's day. But there is also another thing. John said, I saw a beautiful heaven coming down, a beautiful city coming down from God. Uh, John saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Revelation 21 2. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and a new city. Jesus said it best, in my Father's house are many mansions, are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may also be. Revelation 21 talks about the beauty and the splendor of that eternal dwelling place that those who have been redeemed shall get. A city of pure gold, so pure you can see right through it like glass. A gates of pearl and walls of jasper. No sun or moon is needed for Jesus will be the light. And there time and eternity shall meet. The temporary shall cease. And forever the hope of all righteous shall be fulfilled. We shall live with our Lord Jesus Christ forever. Would you stand? I feel it right now even as we've taught it. The urgency of an expectation that there is coming a day. That you and I cannot just sort of believe or, or kind of coast alone, but there is a day in which God is going to call each one of us home. While I believe strongly that that time of tribulation draws ever closer and perhaps even within our lifetime maybe, I'm not looking for the, for the, 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 the tribulation. I, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not my hope. That's not what I am gauging God's return on. I'm gauging God's return on this. Right now, at 8.33, January the 3rd, 2018, am I ready? Before I see one Antichrist come down, before a seal or a trumpet or a vial is opened, before any of that imagery in Revelation comes to pass, I've got to answer this. Am I ready now? Because if you die before that tribulation starts or comes to pass, then your eternity will have already been made known. There's coming a day. Why do I preach? I, I know I don't preach every service. I'm aware of that, okay? But, but there, there is 52 weeks in a year. On most weeks, we have three sermons. 
And if I had to, I would have to preach every one of them. I know I don't. I've got a great group of ministers, and we have special ministers, but that's 156 sermons that are preached. Why do I do it? Because I want people ready for heaven. That's the driving force behind everything I want to do, is I want people to be ready. Because I want to, I, I want to walk on those streets of gold. My first responsibility, let me tell you how, how my responsibility goes. My first responsibility, Brother Cozart, is, is Brandon Buford ready? Bible says we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean we can decide what saves us. It just means we better follow what he's already told us. Second thing is, the Bible says we need to make our calling and our election sure. I got to make sure I'm ready. Which means you can know whether you're ready or not. Don't let, if someone says, I don't know if I'm ready, then you're not. Because the Bible says you will know. You can make your calling sure. You can make your election sure. The second thing, Brother Bob, so first off, is am I ready? The second responsibility that I have, that I have is, is my family ready? As long as they live in my house, I, I, I have that responsibility. Now, one day, Zane, you're going to grow up, and you're going to make your own decisions. One day, Zoe, you're going to grow up, and you're going to make your own decisions. But right now, I can help you do the very best. I want to make sure my family's safe. But the third thing is, Brother Steve, I want to walk on those streets of gold. And I want to see those that I've witnessed to. And those that I've preached to. And those that I spent time over a cup of coffee with. And a Bible study with. Those that I rode in police cars with. Those that I went and visited them at the hospital with. And I want to be able to walk on heaven and say, hey, I helped lead you to Christ. There's an investment that you and I need to start putting in. Are you investing in those so that we can receive our reward in heaven? There is coming a day. I, I, I know some of these moments we haven't ended with a song or with anything, but I feel it at the end of this. I feel the presence of God, and I think we need to spend some time. We've got plenty of time. I want to, as our musicians and praise singers begin to sing, if you want to come to the front, you're more than welcome to. If you want to kneel down at an altar at your pew, you can. But could you please not leave this building until you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am ready. Jesus said, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Paul, or Peter rather, Peter on the day of Pentecost says, you must be, you must repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or removal of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Are you ready? There is come.